0: Remember to visit us online, too, at besteveru.com. And now here's your host, CEO and founder of the Best Ever You Network, Elizabeth Hamilton-Garino.
1: Hello everybody. Thank you so much for listening to the Best Ever You Show. Yesterday we had Coach Pine from Clark University Baseball on. He's a head baseball coach. He spent over an hour with us. Um he was on the phone while I was looking outside and watching it snow. Uh I'm here in Maine and um uh, yeah, it looks like it's gonna snow again today. So I'm not real happy about that. Um but yeah, we'll deal. But uh, yeah, we can stop snowing now. I'm I'm good and ready to move on into spring and Aren't you, Jim? It needs to stop snowing, doesn't it?
2: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> uh, we had ice and snow here a couple of days ago.
1: Oh yeah, it's just where are you anyway? This is um, this is Jim Beach, by the way. He's our guest today, and he's the author of the nickname that didn't stick. And we're gonna get into his um, everything about him in just a minute. But where are you again? Where are you calling from?
2: I'm in the Kansas City metro.
1: Okay, Kansas yeah, I'm City, from the Midwest.
2: Missouri, Kansas City, Kansas. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I was raised in Iowa, so I get it. Um, I hear you okay. loud and clear. Um, yeah, now um, yeah, I can stop snowing. Anyway, um, you know, I, I had trouble sleeping last night. I'm going to be uh, all honest with everybody. I had trouble sleeping. I went to, I was watching American Idol and I was noticing this gal, I can't remember her name right now, but it was so clear that she had been bullied her entire life. And um, I don't know if anybody else was watching this, but it's a long haired gal with glasses and she was one of the last ones to go through and you could see her crying and her family like this is the best girl. She's so beautiful and so special and all this stuff. And it was obvious as they showed her through the videotaping of the show that she had been really bullied and she she was pretty vocal about it she was like you know this is a place where I feel good I'm accepted everybody knows I'm I'm quirky and I can sing and I can wear what I want to wear and all these things and Jim I'm wondering if you want to talk about that a little bit.
2: Uh, Sure absolutely you know there's bullying comes in so many different ways and forms you know and that's that's something that I talk to kids about because bullying can be something that lives with you for the rest of your life. It can be something that affects your mind. Um, you know, I talk with kids that have mental health issues and a lot of it has, they they use the the excuse that they were bullied and bullying. So, you know, the old phrase that words don't hurt, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but your words will never hurt me kind of thing isn't true. It's not true at all. And so, the effects of bullying can last a lifetime, and it's hard to deal with and you just have to find the ways to break through
1: yeah and it, and it looks like she said, i was I'm searching on American Idol right now to see if I can find the gal's name but um you know did you, have have you experienced that so you were i want to tell people or if you want to, you can, but you you were born with two you were born to two deaf parents, and you learned to speak sign language before you could even talk. Do you want to take it from there? That's pretty unique. Or maybe it's not. I'm not sure. I just assumed that I no.
2: guess. No, it it absolutely is unique. Um I've met a lot of other codas and what a coda is is C O D A, Children of Deaf Adults. And the other codas have different stories than mine. Um so Many of them have had family members that they were able to communicate with on a regular basis, so their communication skills wasn't like mine. But my situation was both of my parents being profoundly deaf, and I had a younger brother. Uh, We all communicated in sign language. Sign language was my first language, so communication was a, a very difficult thing for me, even into elementary school. I didn't learn how to speak until I got into elementary school. And part of the reason why i able to talk on the subject of bullying is because when I started kindergarten, a lot of the kids would pick on me because I couldn't talk. If I did talk, it it was a word or two here and there. I couldn't put sentences together. In the deaf culture, which deaf people do not consider it a disability, they consider it a culture. In their culture, their language, m- the I think the most popular language is American Sign Language. There's all different mm-hmm. types of sign language. There's S-E-E, which is Signed Exact English, but the most popular is ASL. ASL is broken up. The English is broken up where you would start with the noun and then fill in the rest of the sentence. So if I said, I'm going to go to the store, I'll be right back. In sign language, I would say, store going, right back coming. So a lot of people have assumed that deaf people were of a lesser intelligence because of the way they would write notes if they were to go to the bank or the grocery store, things like that. And uh, that was something I had to deal with. When I got into kindergarten, I couldn't speak, and if I tried, my English was very broken. So I got bullied a lot hard. That was my first nickname as a child.
1: Well, I have a brother with disabilities, so I can I can completely relate, um, and I'm sorry that you got called that for sure, and I've spent a life, and so has my sister and all my other brothers and sisters, standing up for um, our brother, who um, we adopted um, at birth, and we don't really say we, you know, he's our brother, but I, 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 I say that because he has, we um, adopted him at birth with fetal alcohol syndrome, and um, mm. Oh yeah, uh, uh, brutal, brutal existence, and um, he has overcome so much. It's fascinating. I was just talking to him on the phone yesterday, so I get, I get a little bit. You know, I can certainly relate um, to to what you're saying, and I, I'm curious. Um, do you have a hearing disability at all? Can I ask uh, that? I do, I mean, but
2: it's not a genetic thing. Not
1: like, okay, not like, not like having a you're not deaf or anything like that. Clearly. I mean, you can, we can, we're talking just fine. Um, but I, I wondered because I wondered if that had had anything to um, to do with it. That makes so much sense. So American sign language is more of like a broken. So you're saying that again to me. So you're like store going, be right back kind of thing. And you're missing all of the, I'm going to the store. I'll be right back. So what you mean?
2: Right. Yes.
1: Oh, that's hard. How'd you learn to, how'd you learn to talk better? Did somebody, take you take you uh, under their wings or I mean what, how, tell me the story of how how you got to be here talking on the radio just perfectly
2: well it's definitely a, um, a long story uh, of how my communication skills have improved as a mm-hmm. child the 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 English developed slowly through school um, but by second or third grade I don't remember which I think it was in the second grade I was interpreting for my parents you know so that if my parents would come to the school and we'd have parent-teacher conference I my parents would say something and you know I would interpret it to the teacher and vice versa and so if the teacher ever said you know your son has a problem talking too much in class I would always interpret your son has great communication skills so I would hide the fact that I was (laughs) doing mischievous things in school so but there was one meeting where my parents were taken into the office with the principal, the counselor, and the teacher, and they wanted to tell my parents, which they had me interpret, they wanted to tell my parents they believe that I have a severe learning disability or that I was mentally handicapped and that I would not amount to much of anything, just do the best he can. He will never graduate. Just let him go from year to year, and that's exactly what I did. So the communication, I learned as much as I could, you know, from my peers, my um, mm-hmm. had a little brother, and he would learn from me. You know, there was a time, I think it was junior high, somewhere in the beginning of junior high, when I my family had left for a couple of weeks. I can't remember where they went, but I got to stay with a family, and they had four son- or five sons, and they were the popular kids. So I would listen to how they talk. And that was the first time I learned the word dude. So I called my brother (laughs) and I told him, I said, hey, I know how to be cool now. Use the word dude, like dude, you know, dude, this is so cool. So the communication would change (laughs) over time. And it was all by influence by my peers. So to actually speak as well as I do now, um, it's because of the most influential person in my life. So that person changed my life radically.
1: That's awesome. You're a whole TED Talk, aren't you, about this? Have you done one of those yet? I, or are you waiting? <laughs> I can yeah, see I'm it. Yeah, I'm waiting. <laughs> You're waiting. <laughs> All right. Tell, yeah. tell me about your, yeah, but it is one for sure. Because, you know, um, do you, okay, I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions. You can pass on them if you want. Um, does it, do you have anxiety Be like on a show like this today or anything like that? We're only the best ever you show, and I get it, but do you still have a little bit of anxiety about speaking and things like that, or is it gone?
2: Oh no i, I I've always had Longer. anxiety when it comes to speaking, absolutely. i mean, i've the biggest crowd I've ever spoke in front of was three thousand people, and uh, I had quoted a scripture and I stumbled over it because I started I opened with that. Uh, scripture. And I completely fumbled through my words, but then I cleared it up and and was able to move on. But I've been speaking since, you know, since I was uh, about 20 years old to different corporations and different companies, because I was in a sales business that, you know, it was very odd for somebody to, uh, to ask, you know, Excel as fast as I did. So uh, with my communication skills, beforehand, I was never good enough to really talk to people. You know, there was a, there was a, there's a story that I share about how I was always intimidated by intelligent people. I would get around intelligent people and I would act shy. I wouldn't say anything. I was a very rambunctious and hyper kid, but when I got around intelligent people, I would shut my mouth because I felt like I would be judged and I would be, you know, called retard from adults which I felt that's what my principal and my counselor and teacher had done with my parents. But so the anxiety of speaking is always, has always been there. And it's probably because of, you know, all yeah. of what I just shared with you, but even today, you know, even though I've overcome so much, there's still that little bit of anxiety always.
1: Yeah, I right hear I think we all have it. Anyway, I hate public speaking, just so you know, so God bless <laughs> your soul for being on stage talking in front of a crowd of 3,000 to talk about anxiety. No, thanks. Um, yeah. Was, yeah, no, thanks. Um, everybody always wants me to do that, too, and I'm like, no, nah, I'm good, I'm good. i was just stick to the radio show <laughs> security and my hair on top of my head and my sweats on um do you <laughs> do, do you have a moment or anything like that like a pivotal moment where you're like um yeah i know what i'm going to do i'm going to be a public speaker i've over you know i have i've i've got all this you know all this that's happened to me and everything and you know what i'm going to do with it i'm going to become a public speaker i mean what's that moment i gotta hear this because that you've that is some determination. I mean your Facebook is Jim is relentless, your Twitter is Jim is relentless, your Instagram is Mr. Relentless times 10. I'm going with Yeah, there's a moment, but you got to tell us about it.
2: <laughs> oh, absolutely. That's that's the biggest part of my story is the being relentless. Um, you know, on the tit- the title of my book is The Nickname That Didn't Stick: My Journey to Becoming Mr. Relentless. Uh, The nickname that I had as a child was retard. And again, I accepted that and I believed that because it was school officials. So it got worse. Uh, I would try and find a way to fit in. I would try and find different ways to communicate, but I still got bullied. Um, I did kind of a karate kid type deal when I was about nine years old. I asked my parents, begged them if they would take me to, to train in karate and they told me no and I said, I I get bullied all the time. I need to be able to defend myself. They kept saying, no, we don't have enough money. We can't afford it. Even though my dad, you know, worked hard, he made a pretty good amount of money. And he he was the type that definitely knew how to make a penny scream. He pinched it so hard. So he was one of the types that just wouldn't spend on anything he felt was foolish. So I went to a a karate studio that I found, and I I would ride my 10-speed everywhere, my parents had no idea how far away from home I would get, but I'd always come home on time. So they never really worried, but I drove, I I rode this bike as far as I could to get to this, um, this karate studio. And when I uh, came in the studio, I watched them, I'd seen how they trained. And I finally went and talked to the, the owner and I said, look, my parents don't have enough money for me to take karate but I'll be a janitor or I'll do some clean. I'll, I'll do whatever you need. If you'll give me karate lessons, he accepted. So with that being said, I was able to start finally defending myself to a certain degree. Um, I got very good at it. I was very competitive. I'd get first and second place in you know, karate, uh, competitions. So it, it became something that, that I could use to stop the bullying or reduce the bullying. Though, I, you know, it's not the best way, but it was, it was what I felt at the time was the right thing. Um, and I got to the point where I was fed up with the bullies that I felt like I could never beat, such as one of the toughest gang members in our school. It was ninth grade, and I remember I went to the pencil sharpener, and he came up behind me. He had other gang members in the back of the classroom. And I'm talking, I was born and raised in Las Vegas. I, sorry, I didn't share that with you, but I was no, born and exactly. raised in Las Vegas, Nevada. So there's a lot of young gang members out there. A lot of junior high kids have gotten into gangs out there. So this they intimidated me because they were large in number. And I know I knew he had other members in the back of the classroom, but I knew he was coming to the pencil sharpener just to pick on me. And when he got there, sure enough, Long he pushed me so hard that I, I hit my face on the pencil sharpener. I turned around. I was fed up. I pushed him, and he fell over the teacher's desk. And when he got up, his gang members got up, and I, I said, look, stop. You know where I live. I don't want to get in trouble at school. Just come to my house. So he came to my house um, after school, but before he did, I told my dad. I said, Dad, I was fed up. And, and I I almost got in trouble at school but you told me not to fight so I didn't fight but now he's coming to our house to fight me. Mm-hmm. And at first he thought I was kidding, of course. So he came he said, Let's go outside and we'll do some boxing and play around. And my dad my dad is about five foot five and I'm I'm five foot ten and junior high I was pretty tall so it, it was it was quite odd for my dad to try and help me with, with boxing. But nonetheless we went outside and was doing a little bit of sparring and all of a sudden I seen all the color leave my father's face and when i saw how he was looking past me and was afraid i turned to see what it was and i noticed the gentleman that was coming to the house to fight me was leading about 50 people walking down the street a large oh, wow. amount of people so you could think think like the movies it was that dramatic The people from the neighborhood started coming out of their homes to see what was going on. So the crowd just got bigger and bigger. He finally came up in my front yard, and uh, I walked out there and said, I'm ready. For a few minutes, he would just, you know, gripe and say a few things, and I was scared out of my mind. I didn't have many friends, and I had a couple people there that would be considered my friends that said, we'll be here for you. We won't let anybody else jump in. It'll just be you and him. And so finally, one girl comes up behind me, shoves me into him. I turn around. My mom's chasing her away from me. And by the time I turn around to look at my opponent, he's already coming after me and tackles me. I don't remember much of the fight after this, but I do remember in the end being pulled off of him. Everybody <laughs> screamed I, that you, that I won, and I had beat the one of the toughest game bangers in the school. And it was it was you know quite. Exciting at that time, and I, I was. Tears were flowing down my face. I was freaked out. I had no idea what was going on. And then when I realized I won, I thought, wow, they're finally going to leave me alone. They're never going to bother me again. Well, it didn't work out that way. It was not the best choice to make. When I went to school the next day, I would walk down the halls and There's people that I had no clue who they were and I've never seen them before, but they're yelling my name. Hey, you know, what's up, man? I heard about your fight. You did a good job. And I'm, I'm all of a sudden popular. Everybody knows who I am. By the end of the day, one of the guys comes to me and uh, one of the guys that, that knows the gangbanger comes to me and says, you know, his whole gang is now looking for you. It's not just him, but the whole gang is coming after you for revenge. So, I was perplexed. I had no idea what to do. I begged my dad to take me out of school. And finally I decided, you know what? The only way that I'm going to be able to protect myself is to join a gang myself. So I ended up joining a gang that was local in my neighborhood. And I lived in an area where one major road separated the Bloods and the Crips, but there was also Mexican gangs on our side and so on and so forth. So it was, It was not the best choice to make, but it was the choice that I thought I needed to make at that time. Once I joined the gang, I got pulled into drugs, alcohol, uh, I mean, just you name it, you know, stealing. And it just, it was a horrible life. Mm -hmm. And my dad comes to me and says, you know what, son, I'm tired of this lifestyle. Um, You're going to have to move out when you turn 18 if this is your life. But as of right now, I don't even want to talk to you. I don't accept this lifestyle. I don't appreciate it. You got to stop. Well, I, you know, fussed with him and argued with him and told him I'm, I'm going to do it. It was, it was my, the, it was also the thing that I felt like I could connect with that I could fit in because as a gangbanger, you don't have to talk very well. (laughs) Most of them don't have very good English. They use a lot of, you know, catchphrases or, or gang phrases. And that's what we would do. And, throwing uh, gang signs was easy for me to learn (laughs) because I was, you know, somebody that communicated with my hands. So it was something I felt like I fit in. And uh, so I stayed with it. And my dad and I, we, our relationship just crumbled. We didn't have a relationship after that. Um, So to make the long story short with all that mess that I'd got into, I came home at 18 years old. It was my birthday. I walked up, and I remember it just like it was yesterday. It was so uh, such a memorable day. I walked up to the house. I was over at a friend's. I spent the night, and then I came home the next day, and there was a moving truck in the driveway. And the moving truck was almost completely full. I walked up to my dad. I said, what's going on? He said, we're moving to Kansas City. And he said, you've got a choice. You can do one of two things. You can either come with us, and you have to change. You can no longer do any of the gang stuff anymore. You can't live this lifestyle anymore. I knew you wouldn't get out of it, so I waited until you were 18, and we've been wanting to move to Kansas City, but we waited to this day. You have a choice to make. You clean up. You can come with us. If you don't, you're on your own. And I told him, I said, I'm not moving with you. I am not moving from Las Vegas. I absolutely refuse. So he hands me a check and says, okay, here, you take this money, and it should be able to give you about three months' worth of rent. After that, you're on your own, son. And I, and I, he asked wow. me if I really wanted to make that choice, and I said, yes, in time. The only people I could go to was the gang. So I tried to live with the gang, and it only got worse. I seen things people should never see living in the house of a gang mem- uh, gangbanger. Well, before too long... The gang was tired of how addicted to the drugs. I was hooked on uh, meth at that time, and they seen how bad I was getting. So the gang decided to kick me out of the home. At that point in time, I was 18 years old, and I was homeless. You know, people would say, when you're 18, you're an adult. Well, to me, I was still a kid. I had no idea how to deal with the real world. And the money that my dad had given me, I'd already burnt through it. You know, it's, it was all gone. I had no idea what I was going to do next. And I had a little dog, which is a chug. I don't know if you know what a chug is, but it's part pug, part chihuahua. And they actually have a breed now called the chug. So it's it's not just a crossbreed. They actually have a breed called the chug. And it was my favorite dog, childhood dog. I've had it, you know, over 10 years. And it it when I became homeless, it would walk with me everywhere i went so it was my only friend my only companion and whenever i would get food i was begging for food or begging for money and i would feed my dog first because i wouldn't want to see it die if i was going to die i would rather my dog live and i die first so i don't have to see him su- or her suffer well that was my that was my turning point where i had to make a decision to change my life i literally was i mean none of my friends would take me back. None of them wanted me to come back. I had a few that would give me a twenty dollar bill and say, Don't ever come back again. Don't want to see you like this. It was so Were you on bad, drugs? Elizabeth Were you on
1: drugs at that point. I was. Yeah. Yes.
2: meth. Mm-hmm. It was so yeah. bad that I was walking well, down the street. Alive. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. There was plenty of times where death was very close. But um it was so so humbling because I was walking down the street or down the strip. I remember this, you know, very vividly. There was a mom and a daughter walking down the strip, um, you know, coming towards me. Well, when they seen me, when the mother seen me, she grabbed her daughter, crossed the street, walked a little ways, and then crossed the street again and continued the direction she was going. So what she did was completely avoid me. Dirty mess. I had a long beard. I was drugged out. I, I, You know, I was just an absolute mess, and for her to see that, she wanted to keep her daughter away from me. So, again, this is this is the point where I finally decided I have to change my life. I walked from where I was at, about 18 miles later, I end up at a church, and I thought, if the pastor can't help me, somebody here can help me. I asked everybody, and nobody said they could help me, and many of these people knew me since I was a little kid. None of them would help me. So I walked out of the church thinking, wow, this is it. There's nothing left. I might as well go ahead and kill myself. I was literally leaving with a plan, walking out, thinking about what I was going to do and how I was going to do it. And a man come running out screaming. He said, James. You know, they called me James. He comes running out, says, James. And he uh, walks up to me and he says, do you really want help? I said, I absolutely do. He says, do you really want help? Not just a handout, but really want help. I said, yes, I I absolutely do. So he takes me to a man the next day. He has me spend the night at his house. He fed me. Next day, he takes me to this guy's house and introduces me to him, and he says, this man will help you as long as you do what he says and you stay off the drugs. This man looked, walked, and talked and acted just like Morgan Freeman. So it was quite the experience. When I moved in with him, he gave me a couple of rules. One, I would work and pay bills. And two, I would never do drugs while living with him. So that was a, a turning point at least to better myself, you know, to, to change my life and, and to get away from the gangs.
1: Did you honor his requests of you, though, for real?
2: One time. Just once. But I, that once was enough. The fear he put in me about not being able to survive and live with him and all of that. The day he found out I did it, it, it scared me so much I never did it again. And literally, that was my last day I'd ever touch the drug again.
1: Now, go keep going. Um, for, I've got a bunch of questions. They're all kind of tied in knots a little bit. I can. <laughs> um, are how are you with your parents? Are they alive? Um, anything go okay again? Are you friends? You know, all that stuff. Oh yeah. What about your parents.
2: Tough. Oh yeah. Yes, absolutely. My, my parents, my, my mother's probably the sweetest woman anybody has ever met. She's, she is very loving and she was in tears when they left uh, Vegas to move to Kansas city. And her and I had a very good relationship. It was very good. My dad and I still didn't talk, but I went, I finally, after cleaning up, I finally moved to Kansas city. And, you know, when I moved to Kansas city, I thought, you know, I, I, I'm i going to live right and be, you know, everything's going to be good. I get there and I find out that my brother had joined a gang in the Kansas city. Oh, no. And so I, it wasn't long before I was sucked back into that lifestyle. However, the drugs was not a big part of it, but I was back into that lifestyle, more of a thug lifestyle rather than a gang style. But we did have a leader of the gang. He was in prison, and he would lead the gang from a cell phone or from a pay phone at the prison. My brother was actually one of the leaders of the gang, so I would run around with them. One uh, There was one day where I we drove to – Oklahoma to do a drug deal. And this is to answer your question about my parents, but uh, on the way to Oklahoma, I was the driver. Um, the guy sitting next to me was a model and he was supposed to um, go for being a supermodel sitting next to me on the right. And the guy behind me um, was one of our very close friends that we had made almost the, you know, my brother had made friends with him almost the first week of living in Kansas City, was sitting in the back seat. And on the way there, I fell asleep at the wheel. It's a 1985 Honda Accord, and I was going 70 miles an hour in cruise control. I fell asleep at the wheel, and I hit a guardrail. I tore up. Uh, the fireman said that I coiled up 30 foot of guardrail and launched off down into a ditch. When I when I came to and realized what happened, the car was on fire. I looked at my friend to the right, and he was passed out. The guy behind me knocked off the headrest of my seat and was kind of dazed and out of it. He didn't even know what was going on. I couldn't open the door so I had to climb out. When I turned and looked my friend was still in the car and I called for him and finally he came to and I said, "Come on, you got to get out." He had got a ga- or he had um the glass from the windshield gashed his face and cut his lips. So his modeling career was over. From that moment, but I had to pull him out of the car. We went to the top of the hill and there was people stopping and, and calling 911. And so we went to the top of the hill and, and I felt like I had lost so much blood that I was about to die. So I called out to my friends. I said, guys, you got to help me. I feel like I'm about to die. And the guys said, well, hold on, hold on. We're trying to figure out how to get the drugs out of the car and walked away from me. So I came I've come to realize at that moment that the love of the gang, the gang always said, we're your family. We love you. Nobody else is going to, you know, be behind you or support you or do anything for you, but your gang, your gang is your family. Well, that day I realized they weren't my family. They didn't care a thing in the world about me. So I sat down on the side of the hill and I, you know, I started praying and I told God, if you'll spare my life, I'll come back to you. Well, I felt the life come back to me, so to speak. I felt the energy, you know, and I got up and Uh, the ambulance was there at that time and finally they treated me and asked me if I needed to go to the hospital and I said no they repeatedly asked me if I was going to you know I would go to the hospital and I said no they had stopped the blood they got me taken care of as much as possible and then they finally let us go on our way from that moment I thought I've got to get home and see my parents and change my life again get back on track you know they when you when you mess up, there's a lot of people that say, you know, if uh, they've failed. To me, uh, the only way you can consider it a failure, or that you have failed, is if you continue down the path of whatever your failure would be. But if you get up and try again, it would be different. So I went home with the intention of changing my life, and I walked into the house. It was probably about two o'clock in the morning, and I heard a voice in the house. So I was walking through trying to find this voice, and I got to where the voice was, and I found it was my mom. She was in the room praying and asking God to spare our life. Now, some would say, but your mom's deaf. She can't talk. No, they talk, but they're, you know, the norm, the average person wouldn't understand them. I'm her son. I understand the way she talks, so I understood what she said, and it broke my heart. So within a short period of time, I found a church, and I was with a gang member at that time. I think he was the treasurer of our gang, and he says, or I say, I'm going to go to that church tonight. He says, you, church, no way. I said, I'm going to go. He goes, okay, I'll go with you. Well, when we got back to the house, I began to change my clothes, and he thought, well, okay, I guess we're going to a party. I said, no, I'm going to that church. He said, okay, well, I said, I'll go with you. So he gets dressed and cleaned up. So we go to that church that night and preaches a sermon, called devil you missed and that to me was the message for the situation with the guardrail devil you missed so i went home told my parents i'm changing my life i'm going back to church and my dad says i don't believe you i says dad i mean it you got to come with me then he says okay i'll go i want to see this church so he comes with me that day i don't remember what was preached all I remember is I wanted to get to that altar and pray. And finally the service was over, and I thought, I-, I can't go. So I got up, I turned around, started walking out of the church, and I literally feel like I heard the voice of God say, if you leave now, you'll never come back. So I turned and I went to the altar. I prayed, and I prayed for about 30 minutes, just weeping and crying. And then I believe that God had filled me with his spirit. When I was done praying, I wiped the tears away and I turned to my right, and my dad was standing there with tears in his eyes. And for the first time in seven years, we gave each other a hug. Since then, my dad and I have now been in business together. We're still in business together. My dad and I have the greatest relationship ever since and that day.
1: And your brother? Can you Are hear you me? Are you
2: still there? Yeah,
1: yes. yeah. And your brother? Uh, what about your brother?
2: Uh, my brother, you know, got married and had kids, so he cleaned up his life. But he's he's, I don't know. He he still looks like that lifestyle, but doesn't live it. If that makes any sense.
1: Got it. No, it's fine. What What do you like today? What's who are you?
2: Well, that that's the where the nickname changes. Um, after I got in the church, and turned my life around, I had met. Um, a young lady there that, I mean, this, the situation to me is is unique because I was at the altar praying and asking God for a girlfriend when I was 20 years old, just begging God for a girlfriend. I'm like, you know, Christmas is going to be coming, and I need a girlfriend. God, I want a girlfriend. And I looked across the church, and I seen a woman across there uh, that was with a, with her son, and I felt like I heard God say, that's who you will marry. I've never met her. I I didn't know her. And I told God, I said, there's no way she's married. Well, one week later, she came up to me and asked me for a date. I was shocked. I I couldn't even speak. And she goes, um, just as friends. Well, then I snapped out of it and I said, Oh uh, yeah, sure. Of course. And I tried to act confident, but it didn't work out. Um, so it was about nine months after that, that we got married and, When we got married, before we got married, she talked about she wanted a lot of kids. And I said, I can't have kids. And she said, what do you mean? I said, I'll never be able to afford them. There's just no way. Um, And she says, well, why is that? I said, I can't, you know, I can't get a good career. I don't have a high school diploma. I'll just never make it in life. And she goes, who told you that? Yeah. Um, or, or No, no, no. She asked me a little more detail, and I told her, well, my principal, my counselor, and my teacher all said that I was mentally handicapped and had a severe learning disability. And she said, well, first of all, they lied to you. Second of all, their opinion of you does not have to be your reality. After that point, I, was, I, I felt like there's a new beginning to my life. I can actually better myself. And when we got married, for the first two years of our marriage, she gave me what would be considered a formal education. She would grade my mm-hmm. papers. And it wasn't easy, Elizabeth. It was horrible because I had a temper, and I felt like every time I was corrected, I was being called stupid again or called retard again. And she, she was very patient with me and kept working with me till, until I finally got that education I needed. Um, And I picked up a book during the meantime where I got to the point where I could read bigger books. And I found a book by the name or by the name of how to win friends and influence people by Dale Carnegie. That book radically changed my life at that moment. That's when I picked up the, the, the principles out of that book, I began to excel in everything I did. So I got into, I, I got into the medical field. It was okay. It didn't go that great for me. I, one of the greatest experiences I had was uh, when the tornado ripped through Joplin, Missouri. I was one of the medics that went out with the Overland Park Fire Department, and was able to help and be in, you know, aid the people there. Then I got into business management, and I would run, you know, be I, I would run different businesses. I was the general manager of a very successful business, and at mm. that time I had a, a very tough boss or owner of the, the restaurant, and he came to me, and he said, I needed to work at the restaurant seven days a week, and he wanted me to work there seven days a week so he could have his wife come home. She worked there as well, and I said, I don't work Sundays, and she, he said, well, you're going to have to, and I said, I've cut church, and he goes, well, you're going to have to pick God or the restaurant, so at that moment, I told him, I said, you know what? i'm i'm giving you my two weeks notice right now i don't need to make that decision he goes no you think about it well two weeks later i was leaving and he begged me to stay and i said no the decision has been made when when i left um i knew there was the the business was going to suffer i took the business from the red into the black and into a profitable position um i the workers were making more money because they were they were waiting tables properly and you know there was so much I learned from business management that I took that place and, and made it excel six months after I left. They closed the business down, so that was to me you know it, it was proof that I made the right decision. Um, but after that, I got into sales. I excelled in sales so well, and again, it was the communication skills that I received from my wife and reading that book, I believe is what radically changed me and I made a dramatic sale at one event and uh, or in one company that they wanted me to share my story so I sat down with a man called Michael Accurso. his name his, his stage name was Mr Passion and he asked me he said how did you do this how, how you know tell me about you what what is your life like and I told him about my childhood and what I went through and that I you know there was so many times I came close to death and almost killed myself and you know but finally I decided to change my life and that's why I live the way I do now and he goes you were relentless. I said, I was. He said, well, <laughs> I want you to speak at the next event. So at the next event, he introduces me on stage as Jim Beach, Mr. Relentless. And that's where it clicked with me. And I thought, that's my new nickname. I, I'm no longer retard. I, my new nickname is Mr. Relentless. So I live by that. And everything that I do, if I if I put my hands on something, I work until it's done or I succeed at it because of that moment making me realize that, you know, I never did give up. I didn't give up, and because I didn't give up and because I failed so many times, that's why I succeed today.
1: What do you want to tell a young person who might be listening to this show today? Take it to somebody maybe in high school who's listening right now who just feels awful.
2: Oh, absolutely. I what there's so many things that I would say. There's I share this story that I've shared with you in a much more, you know, uniform way. It's very structured for speaking events. But then after I'm done, I I sit down with some of the kids. I'm also a youth speaker. I speak for junior highs, high schools. I've done some elementary schools, but the, the story that I share is more for kids that are in junior high and high school um, due to the fact that my life, you know, became so crazy in my teens. So I talk to them about, understanding the difference between choices that we have the power of choice you know a choice can radically turn your life one way or the other so when I explain that my life turned at the age of 20 I, I share how if I would have changed it before then I probably would have graduated I probably would have went to college and I probably would have succeeded a lot earlier so I share with them that the kids that bully them the kids that try to you know lash out at them. They need to first understand that bullies most bullies are dealing with something at home or they're dealing with another bully or they're dealing with something in their life they don't know how to deal with, so they bully other kids to feel something. They want to feel alive and that's how they find a way to feel alive. So when they pick on you, it's not just about you. It's not about who you are. So what they say isn't true. So you don't have to believe somebody. And I use that same quote that my wife used, which is also a Les Brown quote, which is uh, somebody else's opinion of you. doesn't have to be your reality. So when, I t- when, when somebody tells you things that, that hurt you, think about the fact that it's not true. What they said is not true. And what you have in you is greatness. And it, it can only be realized if you if you strive for greatness. But if you allow these bullies to tear you down, you'll never achieve what you want. Taking it away from you. I also explain, you know, Les Brown, so many different speakers have used this analogy where they talk about the graveyard being one of the richest places on earth. And the reason they say that is because they say the the, you know, the song that was never sung, a book that was never written, um, an invention that was never created, all because these people did not go after their goals and their dreams, and they took it to their grave. So I tell these kids, you have greatness yeah. in you. Everybody has a purpose. You need to strive for that greatness.
1: Have you been bullied as an adult as well? Other than, I mean, I'm talking like – have you ever experienced that in you know in the place you exist in today and the way you are today and so forth has any of it ever come back up again oh yeah i've been bullied as an adult (laughs) i've been bullied as an adult so bad it's scary um oh wow Wow. oh
2: yeah wow yep
1: but uh, yeah
2: it's a whole other show (laughs) Uh, i hear you yeah i've been bullied as an adult and you know, again, there's, there's still some times where I, I am intimidated to a certain degree by people that are highly intelligent. Um, oh, and, you know, I you know, I've went and had my IQ tested. My IQ is 134, so I'm not a genius, but I'm also not the retard or having a severe learning disability, as I was told as a child.
1: You, you, know, you know what I uh, – I have a couple sayings on that score. You know, every, everybody doesn't know something. Trust me. Who you think is smart? Right. They, they lack in other areas. And then the other thing is that um, when you get come across people who you think are so brilliant, um, oftentimes they have the same anxiety and self esteem issues you do. They just maybe hide yeah. it better, trained in a different way. But also, third, my third point is that um, if I can share this with you and the people listening, is that most people will teach you something if you're willing to listen to it. Um, I mean people if you're if you're coachable and open and and go up to somebody who you perceive as smarter than you and ask to learn from them they'll teach you and i find that kind sure. of fascinating cuz i come across a lot of brilliance in this job having people on the radio you know um for example you know i'd consider you brilliant and in you know that might that might shock you but you know the way you speak and the way you have come through everything you've come through brilliant takes a lot of different forms you well, know brilliant you. might yeah brilliant might not just not be a test you take or a book you read or something you pass or do but it, you know can, brilliance can be a life you touch so just always remember that if yes. you, if you don't know that um already i'm sure you've figured that out but anyway um you know my mom's been listening to this show the whole time too mom i love you maybe it's my brother justin too um justin hi I love you too and um you know, I don't know if my the rest of my family is listening too, but I'm glad to hear that you've patched things up with your family. That makes me smile. Um and all that is there, you know, we're running out of time. I, I think you can sense that. Is there I want to tell people about your book a little bit? You're the of course, you know, you you had all these challenges to overcome and you know, you just you know, wrote a book too <laughs> That's awesome yeah <laughs> so let's talk about, before we go. Let's talk about the nickname that didn't stick. um I saw it on Amazon. I did not get a ch- I, we pulled the show together so fast that I didn't have a chance to read your book, and I apologize for that, because usually with each guest I bring on, I've read their book thoroughly back in front a few times, even and um I'm sorry, so I cannot talk about your your book, but would you please um I think you've kind of talked about it, but tell us, tell us more
2: if you would, before we go. Sure. Yeah. There's a lot um, more to my story that's in the book. And, uh, this was my first attempt at, um, at blaming my life. This is my second book. It's, uh, the only one that's been published and it became a bestseller, um, by Christmas day two years ago. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, That yeah, it was it was so fun to realize that. And the reason I wrote the book, it's twofold. One, when I was in sales and doing so well, I was one of the number one salesmen, and so many different situations in sales that I have overcome. Um, You know, I was told you got to write a book, so that was my first, you know, thought of even attempting the book. But it took about ten years before I actually, you know, put pen to paper, and attempted to write the, write the book, and I wrote the book as as simply as I could for one reason, and that's to reach junior high and high school kids. So it's written basically on a 7th, 8th grade level so that they can understand it. It's also a short read because most kids these days, they want to mess around on their phone rather than read a big book, so it's a, a short read on purpose. There's more to share of my story, but yeah, there's a few different things. You know, I talk about... There was one moment where in sales, I was somebody that believed in telling the truth with whatever I do, and I had a manager who got on a call with me and began to just lie to these people and then looked at me to confirm it in the background, and I wouldn't do it. When, I got, when she got off the phone, she slammed her headset and turned around and said, if you don't lie, you'll never make it in this business, and walked away. The following, yeah, the following month, you were asking about adults being adult, bullied as an adult. That was one situation. The following month, the, they, they always give away awards once a month, and the following month, my manager had to read out the awards that were given, and I had achieved number one salesman in my department. So mm-hmm. – she had to read that for did. me, and that, yeah, so it, it was, you know, a, a change there, but there's so much to the book that it's, it's to touch each person in a different way in diff, different areas of their life, because there's some things that people can't relate to, but then there's other things that people can, regardless of how unique my story is, something or some, you know, their life in some way is similar, so, yeah, I yeah. definitely talk about that.
1: I'm going to I want to if with your approval share how how we met on Twitter if you don't mind because I think it's relevant and I want to also before we go talk about how you um I think I think you donate your time or 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 help um signing things um you'll have to that a little bit better than i just did help me out there a little bit but you know you you um do the sign language for things um but do you mind if i tell people how we met on twitter because i think i think it's an of important lesson. well so we met we met on twitter and um you sent a direct message which um i tell you i don't i don't answer direct messages very often i, I really disregard them um and you said you know what i can't remember exactly i don't have it up in front of me but it was like you know basically, could I be on your show? You know, kind of thing. I'm like, well, of course you can. I wanted to say that because um, it's such an important lesson in asking. Cause what's the worst I could have yeah. said. No, no, you know, but you know, <laughs> I wouldn't have done that, but you know, can you talk about that a little bit? Cause I, I am just a huge believer in asking.
2: Oh, of course. And I appreciate that. Yeah. I, I share my story. In you know different areas, most of the stories that i've shared are in some of the local schools and some of the churches that i've been able to speak at and um you know very honored the churches would allow me to share that story as well as you know for the youth when I do um anything for the youth I talk about. There, you know, again, how they can succeed, but I want my story to get out there and reach as many people as it can, so I can touch more lives. So, you know, I looked for this opportunity through you, by you know, doing a little bit of research on you. I thought, hey, this this person's incredible. I wonder if she would be willing to allow me to share my story um, on her show. So, yeah, when it, when I was able to reach you, it, it shocked me that you even responded and responded as quickly as you did because I would figure that you would have so much direct messages coming in Twitter (laughs) that you would, yeah, that it would get lost in the pile.
1: (laughs) So I was very, you know. Oh, well, me too, because, you know, I I hate that. Oops, I just, I hate that me too thing, but it's saying that a lot. I didn't mean to say it like that. Uh, Me also, Um, (laughs) and (laughs) you have to be careful with that, with those two words now. Um, <laughs> what I wanted to say was, you know, it was, it was, um, I was in, it was so bizarre because I was in the direct messages, delete, 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 and yours popped up. And that's, I I think it's such like a, a, a fate kind of thing. I mean, I just, I was like, oh my gosh, that's just so cool. That just appeared. And um, so that's why I responded so quickly, because I was right in there at that moment, just delete, delete, delete. Usually I ignore them and I was just going through, oh my gosh, I got it. Is there anything in here? Nope, 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 nope. So it was a moment. So um, yeah. Um, So I wanted to share that with you too. And, and um, just, just tell you that because it it was so randomly coincidental. Um, it was, it was cool. So, but, but thank you for being on here and thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for touching lives. Thank you for writing your book. Thank you for so much that you've overcome. Um, and just, you, you know, you matter so much to so many people, I'll bet, and you probably don't even know it. <laughs> uh, that's going to be the cool thing. about yeah, as Time moves forward. Um, before we go tell me about the sign language thing because um, when we were emailing you're like I I gotta go I gotta go do this um, sign language um, for people what were you doing that was interesting to me
2: well thank you yeah I'm I'm an interpreter for the deaf uh, licensed and certified in Missouri as well as uh, in Kansas I work in Kansas as an interpreter as well Um, really across the metro I've gone as far as orlando florida to interpret for you know a group of um deaf people arkansas texas i mean i've gone quite a few different places but the reason why i got into it which really i wasn't ever planning to do it but it's one of my sources of income i have about five different incomes and that's one of them but it was a passion for me to do it because of the fact that my parents are deaf but i also have a lot of deaf friends and to me sign language you know being able having the skill I felt that I had a responsibility that God gave me this purpose to be a voice for those that don't have one so that's why I I'm wow. passionate about interpreting and you know the places I interpret the people that I've interpreted for if they didn't have me they would suffer in whatever situation they're in so I'm, I'm very glad to be you know an interpreter for the deaf working for one of the best agencies in Kansas City
1: You know, when I was a kid um, at a a school in Davenport, Iowa, um, I can't remember what grade I was in. I think it was in second grade, Um, first, second grade. I think it was second, no, whatever, first grade. Um, There were two kids that were deaf in our school, and I used to stand in the way on the playground of people trying to bully
2: them. Wow.
1: I used to block it. I'm like, oh, no, not on my watch. This is <laughs> happening. I'm not a very big person. I'm, to this day, I'm 5'2 on a big hair day. So, <laughs> I used wow. to. Oh, yeah, I would not have it. I bet my mom recalls this. I was furious with people trying to pick on these two kids. And it was, it, oh, my gosh, it was awful what they experienced. I would just stand there and go, no, no, no not happening. And um, yeah, I don't know if that matters or not, but I just felt like telling you that. Um, Anyway, so much that you do. Thank you for your time. Thank you for being here. I hope we can keep in touch good things. And I would um, love to follow up like we talked about with a, with an article on best ever you all about you um, in, in interview style and written form. So if you can, if we'll do that over the next week, if you're okay with that, does that work? Absolutely all right all right everybody thank you so much for listening to the best ever used show thanks to Jim Beach for being here his book is the nickname that didn't stick Jim thank you very much um, for sharing your story with us I appreciate you being here so much um, you can find Jim on facebook.com slash Jim is relentless of course <laughs> uh, on Twitter uh, j- at Jim is relentless and on Instagram mr. relentless 10x so thank you again Jim really 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 appreciate it it
2: it was a pleasure i enjoy your show thank you so much for having me
1: thank you all for listening and uh thank you for being here um thanks to my mom and justin for listening too. that was cool um and i just want to thank everybody again because you know we started best ever you 10 years ago we started the radio show eight years ago and it's all grassroots um a little bit husband funded here and there. I'm not going to lie, <laughs> but we are not funded. <laughs> we are not really funded by, by much, uh, not even really advertisers or anything like that. We don't, uh, we don't go that route just to keep it genuine and um, a trusted place to share, learn, grow, and heal. And um, so I just want to make sure everybody knows we're, we're very grassroots. So when we have our guests on here, um, one of the things I'm most proud of is that everybody listening really embraces our guests. They buy their books, they share the show. And they talk about best ever you. Our hashtag is best ever you, Y-O-U. And it it matters when you hashtag what you're trying to say in social media so we can see it. Because that's how people search for information these days on the internet is through those hashtags. So our hashtag is best ever you and also hashtag tips to be your best. And then when our guests Come on, we hashtag their name into social media as well. So, Jim is, you know, hashtag Jim Beach, B E A C H. So, again, thank you so much for listening to the Best Ever You show. Um, I'm going to be back Thursday night with Lauren Galley. Lauren Galley also speaks about bullying. This is sort of bullying week here on Best Ever You. Um, she is um, somebody who's been involved with Best Ever You since she was a teenager. She's now studying for her master's degree in college, and all the while, she has been the founder of Girls Above Society, preventing bullying um with girls young girls teenagers and it's just been a force to be reckoned with you should see the stuff she's done it's amazing un ambassador type stuff and oh boy we'll go we'll go through it when we talk to her so it's 7 p.m eastern on on thursday april 5th and then um next week on april 10th we have peter montoya with us who um is a marketing expert he's the ceo of marketing pro on the internetmarketingpro.com, and then on April 12th, this is a big one, folks. Um, Annika Sorenstam is going to be here. Uh, if you don't know who that is, um, you will. <laughs> um, she's the Tiger Woods of female golf, so she's she's it. She's the she's the number one golfer in the world recognize you know, it's just tiger woods of golf so in female form so we are so excited to have her with us she'll be here at 1 eastern time for half an hour so um that's it for the next two weeks and then we're going to go on vacation and come back with philip andrew and beth navarro so we appreciate y'all listening thanks again um take care have a great day and um please help somebody else be their best too those random acts of kindness really matter take care
0: Thanks for listening to the Best Ever You Show. Want more? Visit us at besteveryou.com. Be your best and keep it real. Confident, successful, caring, and beautiful every day with Best Ever You.